This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Today, we're sitting down with Nina Janapal, the CEO of the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. We meet at the bar of Le Meridien, a hotel in Arlington's Roslyn neighborhood. All right. Uh, Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Nina has led the nonprofit partnership known as APA for 12 years. The organization has built hundreds of affordable housing units in Arlington County under her leadership, making it one of the most prolific nonprofit developers in the region. But before all that, she was a Harvard grad with a liberal arts degree, figuring out what she wanted to do next. So I was doing a little, doing a little background research, uh, and I learned that uh, you went to Harvard. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and out of Harvard, you got a history and science degree in Harvard, and from there you got into the hostel, the hostel business. How did that happen? Right. I actually, it was a direct relationship to Harvard. They have this thing called um, Harvard Student Agencies, and they have a book series, a travel series. So I was one of the writers as a graduating senior for Let's Go USA. And um, I traveled across the United States, and they gave me, it was ridiculous, you know, a $1,000 stipend for all my travel expenses and my payment, um, and a bus pass. So I took, you know, a Greyhound across the U.S., and my salvation was actually staying at youth hostels. So I stayed in them across country, and then I was on their membership list, and I was, of course, looking for... I don't know what I was looking for. I had a liberal arts degree, but I was living in San Francisco looking for some kind of job, and they had a flyer for uh, a job opening, and then I stayed with them for like almost 20 years. Oh, wow. So what uh, what did you do for this? Uh, Hosteling International? Yeah, so so I really became their real estate person. It was kind of a learn-on-the-job experience. So, you know, started with my liberal arts degree, and um, I worked for the San Francisco chapter, and they, you know, as often happens with nonprofits that are growing, really quickly they had you know two cents to rub together so um, I remember telling someone my payment there for being the director of real estate for the Golden Gate chapter of American Youth Hostels I think I was making $16,000 a year Um, but I loved it and real estate is like the best thing to learn on the job so there I was you know meeting these guys um, uh, renovating a lighthouse like that was so cool Um, and learning about you know state regulations and housing and um, how to hire staff. I I ended up, you know, once we opened, I had a staff of 25. I myself was 24 years old and trying to figure out how to supervise them and what to put together. And because the organization was so poor, there were like four, you know, central office employees. And it was like, you figured it out, Nina. Oh, yeah. Um, So So learning not only real estate on the job, but also how to manage people, hire people lead a team? Every deal was hard because we didn't have a very solid revenue stream. We were a tiny organization. Um, and, and working across country was incredibly intimidating. You know, I'd uh, have to start from scratch to find the architect, the contractor, you know, put together a team. And every market is, has different rules, different yeah. different laws. And right, all those other stuff. right, exactly, the entitlement process. Um, so it was a pretty slow going. You know, over those 15 years, I probably did 
five major projects and then another you know half dozen small little acquisitions um, you know one every couple of years um, and so you know I decided it was time to do something a little different and uh, maybe a little more mission driven uh, so I looked around and found that a lot of the skills I had learned you know acquisitions construction entitlements fundraising um, were really applicable to affordable housing Nina took those skills and used them to start working as a consultant and one of her biggest clients was affordable housing giant Enterprise Community Partners. As part of her work for Enterprise, she traveled the country advising on affordable housing projects. I did consulting for about seven years. My kids were teenagers. It was kind of nice to have some variety. And that was cool, too, because Enterprise was one of my biggest clients, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, I, uh, I, I get an assignment for an Indian reservation in South Dakota for, you know, an old hotel in Seattle for... Um, I remember some of the other interesting ones, a tidy infill AIDS housing project, HOPWA is called, Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS, um, in New York City. Um, so that gave me this kind of great education about who's doing interesting things in the housing world. And Enterprise is just such a solid shop. You know, their, their back office, their finances were so um, astute. Um, and one of the uh, clients of theirs that I visited was the Arlington Partnership for Affordable Housing. Um, and I, I would do these inspections of projects and sort of evaluate, does it seem like it's well-structured and the finances put well together? And, you know, my experience was sort of, actually, I got to be a journalist, I guess. I'd interview people. I'd say, okay, I want to meet your architect. I want to meet your contractor. Have you done this work before? Um, I want to meet the project manager. Um, and that was also great for my curiosity, right, to have this opportunity to sort of learn about the best practices practices of everyone. Um, and then APA had this opening for their CEO in 2007. Um, and so I applied and here I am um, 12 years later. APA has a $200 million portfolio of about 1,500 apartments. And its latest project is one of its biggest, a $78 million redevelopment of an American Legion facility in Virginia Square. The project has received $11 million in state financing, $6 million from Arlington, and will finance the rest with low-income housing tax credits and a private fundraising campaign. You know, this is an amazing opportunity to serve veterans as well as um, low-income households. We are two blocks from the metro station in a high-opportunity neighborhood that we probably couldn't have accessed without the American Legion being there. Um, they were built, they bought the property in the early 20th century, like 1930s, and then they built their current facility in 1955. But it's not adaptable for today's veterans. For example, it's not wheelchair accessible. And so many of today's veterans have mobility impairments. Um, they were, they were as, as one man just said in his speech, you know, on the verge of, of dying, of, of going out of business. And we came together with them and are doing this partnership, and we're going to give them a new life, a 6,000-square-foot new facility right on Washington Boulevard. Right now it's got a suburban design. You kind of drive in, and the parking lot takes you to the back, right? Beautiful cannon right in the front. <laughs> and a flag mural. I don't know if you've seen that. I have, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what we will do is tear the existing building down, build them a new 6,000-square-foot condo, and 160 units of affordable housing on top. 50% of those will have a veteran's preference. Both sides of the house, theirs and ours, will have services for veterans, um, workforce development. The Legion wants to focus on suicide prevention. Um, that's a huge issue, mental health 
for a lot of returning veterans. Um, I think it's so exciting. It's a way for us to be relevant to the Arlington community. I mean, here we are, the home of the Pentagon, um, uh, Henderson Hall, um, Fort Myer, and there is no dedicated veterans housing in all of Arlington. Yeah. So this will be a real hub. And I think it's going to be a replicable model. We're, we've done now, we're on our third project with a church. And I think that that's kind of pop. When we started, we were one of the originators, but now that's happening all over the region and the country. Church, churches with declining attendance and aging facilities looking to partner with affordable housing. And I predict that this will happen again. Arlington's a very unique place. It's so small, it's very liberal, it's very wealthy. I would say most of the leaders have stated affordable housing is one of their main priorities. Do you think that? you know, that kind of cocktail is, is hard to replicate in, you know, in another place? Well, um, timely question, because we're testing that out, Ethan. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So in 2017, we did a strategic plan and kind of identified that we kept growing and growing and that to some degree, Arlington was a constraint on our growth, that we had a great project all teed up and they're like, no, 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 we just approved two of your projects. You need to take a year off. We're like, wait, you know, we're ready to go with this. Well, you should keep funding us as much as we want to grow. And, and to your point, I think we understood ourselves, identified strongly as being Arlington, and that that was part of our secret sauce, that we were deeply embedded in our community. But we also identified that there was this great need for affordable housing throughout the region. People were calling us and saying, will you, you know, come bid on a DC project? We have a $120 million trust fund. We have the TOPA regulations that allow tenants' rights, and we're always looking for other nonprofits to come in that are that have a good reputation, know how to execute, are mission-minded. Um, same thing in Alexandria. Actually, one of our former directors is the head of housing in Alexandria, Helen McElvain, very talented woman. She was like, I'd love to see ABBA come to Alexandria, too. So we went through this process, and it was hard because I think our identity was so wrapped up in being Arlingtonians. I live in Arlington. Most of our senior staff does. Most of our board does. Um, but I, I, we interviewed a number of leaders from around the region, and they said, we, we like what you're doing. We think that that shouldn't be something that's just you know isolated for Arlington. We think that we can use that same formula too, whatever it is, the legion, the churches, the... Um, you know, the patient redevelopment through zoning and infill. So we now approved the new plan in fall of 2017, and today we have three projects in three new jurisdictions. Um, we're buying 87 units in Montgomery County, and they have approved giving us a, a loan to help facilitate that. We're gonna try and renovate those with tax credits in the next two years. Um, we just got approved for low-income housing tax credits for a 98-unit project in Loudoun County. That'll be senior housing. But we also submitted a, a PPEA, Public Private Education Act project, which is basically an unsolicited proposal to Fairfax County. They have to, they, they once they accept your proposal, they have to put it out for competitive bid. We, again, were awarded it. There were two other competitors. That'll be 150 units at Van Dorn and 495, um, kind of on the border between Alexandria and Fairfax. So we're thrilled to be able to bring kind of our execution ability and our mission to these new markets. I don't want to say you're cheating on them, <laughs> but certainly, you know, there's flirtations out there. Right, right. Well, it's interesting. I think that they were part of our interview process for the strategic plan. You know, it's 
best practice to always talk to your stakeholders and they were affirming of it. They felt like we were we were basically, you know, this this well-oiled machine that was constantly pressing on them. Up next, Nina talks about rising construction prices, her hopes for Appa's future, and the tensions around affordable housing in Amazon HQ2. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. When you heard that Amazon was coming to Arlington, what was your reaction, I guess both you know, as an Arlington resident and taxpayer, but also as you know, the head of you know, Arlington's premier affordable housing developer, knowing that everything's about to get a lot more valuable and therefore more expensive? Um, I think you captured it. It's sort of both and. Uh, I certainly have seen the office vacancy in Crystal City. It's crazy to have these buildings that are next to National Airport in Washington, D.C. that had 30% vacancy. Um, I know it was a drag because I was told this all the time by our elected officials on our revenues. So not only just as a taxpayer, but as an organization that you know borrows money from the county, it was, it was limiting their ability to do some of the things that I care about as a citizen. Um, so I was happy for that. I was happy to see Crystal City sort of enter into a new generation of development. It's exciting what they're doing down there. And I remember when years ago AOL was a big employer here, right? And when AOL sort of fell apart and lost its um, you know, prestige and its market value, um, that was another alternative for our economy. So I welcome that too. I mean, I think it's important that D.C. have more than just government jobs. I was raised, actually, in San Francisco. I'd lived there. It's shocking to me, the inequality in San Francisco. It sort of takes everything we're doing here and all the struggles we have in inequality, and it's on steroids. Um, there are half the nation's unsheltered homeless are in the state of California. As a, as a native Californian, and I know the prosperity of that state, you know, it's a great agricultural state, it's a great tech state, it's a media state. How dare they have most of this nation's unsheltered homeless? How dare they not have solved that problem with all the wealth that they have? So that is a, is a source of trepidation for me, right? Amazon's going to come, are we going to become San Francisco and, and drive everybody out? So that makes me nervous. I guess the, the thing I like about the Amazon announcement here is that affordable housing came with it. And in fact, I would say that affordable housing is getting more play since the Amazon announcement than it has ever gotten. Um, I know that uh, Fairfax County, which has been fairly sleepy since the recession about its affordable housing investment, is talking about increasing its affordable housing fund to $38 million. Um, Loudoun County is talking about putting in more money for affordable housing. Uh, Alexandria just added their meals tax last year. Um, I, I feel like Amazon is a good catalyst in that sense, and it started a conversation that maybe we would have ignored if it had just happened on this same gradual trajectory we've been on. Does that, you know, just the, the momentum around housing, you know, 
what we assume are going to be, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people brought in from out of market to work at these Amazon jobs. Does that maybe help crystallize the idea that you do need to grow beyond Arlington? Absolutely. And 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 I also think to some degree we're following low-income people because Arlington has lost 20,000 of its market affordable housing since 2000. And where did a lot of those residents go? Well, some of them doubled up and stayed in Arlington because they love the schools and the communities, but some of them have moved out. They've moved out to Fairfax, they've moved out to Woodbridge. So if we can bring the quality housing we do to some of those locations where they're we're probably next on in line, particularly with Amazon's growth. Uh, the Stephen Fuller study showed that Fairfax might have the most employees from Amazon in Fairfax County, right? There's gonna be a lot in DC and in Arlington, but a lot will hit Fairfax. So if we can kind of get a bulkhead there early on and get some affordable housing in at maybe a sl at a slightly lower price point, everything we do in Arlington, we've got underground parking, we've got a multi-story execution, but I told you about this senior project we're working on in, um, uh, uh, Van Dorn Street and 495, um, we're going to do that with all surface parking. We have a six acre site we're going to spread over much lower development costs. So I do think that that's an alternative that we're looking at, that maybe we don't have to do all of our affordable housing in one of the highest cost communities and that our, our residents will still appreciate that. It'll still be of value. It gets talked about a lot, but I happen to think not enough is the construction prices and construction costs and just that no matter how hard people try uh, to make things more affordable, to simplify things, you know, it's not keeping pace with how much more expensive it is to, to, build, uh, to build a building, frankly. Um, how has APA dealt with that? I mean, you know, has your, the way you budget deals changed, the way you structure deals changed, just knowing that, you know, when you put shovels in the ground and you finish two years later, you know, the price of that timber or steel, whatever, is going to go up by, you know, however many percents in, you know, in, in between. It, it's happening so fast. We definitely are stressed by increasing construction costs, and I think there are a couple of uh, issues you've raised. One is how do we anticipate rising costs during a project, and part of that for us is just having solid contingency. We're very conservative on how, I, how we budget because we know we've only got one bite at the apple. I can't go back to my you know, equity partner and say, hey, we've got some cost overruns, can you provide me money? Because all of our money is really packaged in government loans and low-income housing tax credits. So we try and put some contingency in there to address it. And back in 2009, 2011, we often would end our deal with our contingency unspent or half spent. And our last two projects on Columbia Pike, we've spent almost every penny of our contingency. So now our investors are, and we're thinking, well, not a 5% contingency, maybe we need a 7% contingency. So definitely we're seeing more of that impact. Um, the other piece is, you alluded to the complexity of design. And, and we struggle with that from both uh, the, the site plan process, the public entitlements process. I feel like nobody in Arlington County has ever seen an amenity they don't like. <laughs> and, and we'll come back to them and we'll say, this is how much this costs. Um, I'll give you one small example. In our project we finished in 2016, uh, the Springs Apartments, we convinced the community in Arlington County to let us put the transformer above grade. So a transformer for a building of our size is, I don't know, it's a box that's 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide, five feet deep. Put a screen in front of it. And if I didn't tell you it was there, I think you'd never notice it, right? Oh, and we had designed it with a mural in front of it. 
Nobody in the neighborhood had the slightest complaint about it at all. They were, oh, there's a mural there. Um, Arlington County said, no, we're a quality community. We have to have underground transformers. That's our policy on pedestrian paths. And that's a quarter million dollar decision. Now to me, I really struggled with that. And I actually raised it up to several folks in the county to say, do you really need this? What, what are we spending that quarter million dollars on? But I'm so interested in climate change, and I know we've all got to do our part, but sometimes that becomes an add-on too. And our energy model folks tell us they're adding things that don't even make us more energy efficient, right? But they think it might be a good practice. So we spend a lot of money on our energy improvement. So I don't know how to get out of that box, but, yeah. but I don't see much political will for it. The only solution seems to be for construction prices to go down somehow, but uh, you know, our current political environment just seems like they're going to keep going up uh, based on you know what's happening in you know across the river, just across the river. Oh well, that tariff stuff, right? Yeah. I, I that's that's sneaking its way into our construction contracts. You know, contractors saying if I have to pay a tariff on this or that product, I can't guarantee you my pricing. Boy, that's going to be hard on us too. So with all this kind of stuff, I mean, you've been doing this for 12, 12 years now. Uh, you know, do you have kind of like an idea of where? You personally want to be where you want Appa to be in the next, you know, five, ten years? Uh, well, I definitely would love to see Appa keep growing. I mean, I think we've got a, a unique strength. I think we're particularly good at this creative new construction infield development. And I think I'd love to bring that, Appa should bring that to Montgomery County, D.C., Maryland, um, Northern Virginia. Uh, it probably makes sense for us, you were saying earlier, you know, little teeny Arlington, 26 square miles. Well, at a certain point, there is some diminishing returns if we stretch ourselves beyond more than a two-hour drive. So uh, the future, I think, for APA is to be sort of Metro DC and to be a strong, mission-minded, affordable housing developer that's helping to meet this crisis. It's not getting any better. All those pressures are just going to make it worse. I, uh, so APA, I hope, will keep meeting that and growing to meet that. I, I think we're, you know, I said earlier that, you know, it's made a transition under my leadership from three people to 25 people. You know, maybe there's another generation of growth too. I, I, I don't know it will be, ever be the JBGs or the Avalon Bays of affordable housing, but wouldn't it be cool if we were big enough to really meet the needs of the region and have projects going on in all those areas? I don't want us to grow so fast that we're going to stumble over ourselves. Um, but yeah, so I don't know where it goes, but, but the need is certainly there, and I think we've got good capacity. And we're doing this transition now from where we were, where we were doing kind of one or two projects a year to now we have nine projects in active pipeline, um, delivering maybe two or three a year. So can we can we get to that and plateau and really strengthen our skill sets in that? And then I don't know what's next. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. I, I appreciate we'll the time. Miriam Hall is the creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor.